1: Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm so delighted that you've decided to join us for a discussion, a talk on all things gardening. You know, Saturday's a great day to talk about gardening. Really, any day's a great day. But every day is a great day to get in the garden and do some things. And so, you know... This time of year, well, really in the South, any time of the year, any day of the year can be treacherous as far as trying to determine what the weather will be like, but we'll have some good days. We'll have some bad days as far as, you know, wet, soggy uh, precipitation, but even when we get that precipitation, it's still a great time. Maybe grab an umbrella and a raincoat, get out in the garden, whether it's sunny or whether it's rainy. It's always a good day to be doing something in the landscape. We had a pretty soggy weekend last week. And like the old saying goes, like I said, reminded you last week, April showers bring May flowers. Well, still, April can bring plenty of blossoms. And you may have noticed things starting to bud out, things starting to leaf out, things starting to put on flower buds, if not already blooming. Many of your landscape perennials, the things that uh, return year after year, may already be starting to bud. Hostas are really moving as far as foliage goes. They're looking great. You know, after summer gets here, sometimes the hostas look a little rough. So let's take some good pictures of things now while they're in their spring flush. So that when summer comes and things are a little on the dreary side or beaten downside, we can look back at the pictures and remember how beautiful some things were when spring first arrived well if you're just joining us for the program then you need to check out the website for our show here at newSouthernGarden.com because we've got every episode of every program we've ever had posted online there so it's sort of like a mini horticulture college course you know You can go and learn about all things. I tend to jump around from week to week, just like I do in my own landscape. I may be doing vegetables one day and then deciding I need to plant roses the next. And so last week, of course, we talked about merging the ornamental things with the productive things like vegetables and fruits. We call that foodscaping, actually bringing vegetables and fruits to your front door, if you will. And there are many wonderful characteristics and attributes that uh, many of our fruit trees and vegetable plants can bring to the table that even though we tend to put them in their place, if you will, in the vegetable garden, maybe in the back where nobody can see it, If we look closely at the things that these plants provide, some provide beautiful blossoms, some fall color, and of course uh, beautiful, uh, colorful fruits that we can harvest and bring indoors. And maybe having these plants a little closer to the house will uh, stimulate you to go harvest more frequently. Bring in uh, fresh tomatoes, fresh lettuce, fresh blueberries for supper or for breakfast because they're just right there. So if you want to learn more about foodscaping or at least Get my view, my take on foodscaping. You can check us out online at NewSouthernGarden.com. And be sure while you're there, if you have a question, if something is burning through your begonias uh, or maybe pestering your petunias, uh, be sure to leave us a question there. And you can do so on Facebook and Instagram because next Saturday is going to be our Q&A week. Uh, Once a month, we like to go to the mailbag, the mailbox, the inbox, the message box on Facebook, wherever we get these questions from, and we want to bring them to the show and, and of course, uh, let you be a part of the program so that you get to have your say, and, of course, uh, hopefully we can uh, give you some reliable information that's going to help you be more successful in your horticultural endeavors. Now, of course, uh, if you have a video, uh, a picture of something that you need to identify, that's very helpful. You know, sometimes people will ask me, um, I've got this plant that I need you to help me to identify, and it, it's it got leaves, They're well, they're green leaves, and it has stems, and, and 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 these leaves are on the stems, these green leaves are on the stems, I think, well... We're not really narrowing down uh, characteristics for identification. Most plants have stems with green leaves on them, somewhere on the stem. And so sometimes a pitcher, like I've said in the past, a pitcher in this business is worth more than 100,000 words because the picture can really help to identify a pest problem or help to identify a certain plant. A lot of times folks see something pop up and it looks really pretty and they want to know, is this a weed or is this something that's going to be beneficial to my garden? So if you've got those uh, pictures and things, you can always include those on Facebook and Instagram very easily. Just tag us in it and uh, we'll, we'll help you out that way. But on today's program, I did want to jump around a little bit, you know, last week we talked about uh, the foodscaping, which involved ornamentals and edibles, Uh, and then the week before we talked about uh, peonies, the 19 wonderful peonies for the South, and well, very colorful peonies, I should say, and fragrant on most accounts. And the week before that, we talked about new perennials for 2022 in your landscape this year. So today, I thought, well, let's, you know, we're starting to warm up. The temperatures are feeling good. We're getting more reliably in the 50s at nighttime. So with those warming of temperatures, we're really going to start to see what we see every year. And that's pest problems. Now, remember, pests, pests, a lot of S's there, Uh Pests can come in many different forms. They can come in the vegetative form, like uh, weeds. Weeds are considered pests. And, of course, the uh, animal form, which, of course, are going to be the insects. Those are little creatures that crawl and consume our wonderful plants. And then, really, the third main group of of pests are, are going to be the Bacteria, the microbial life in the landscape. Uh, Diseases as far as bacteria and fungus go. So, in order to be good stewards of what we're doing in our landscapes, I thought let's talk about pest prevention. Choking out the pests early. Trying to get a handle on pests before they become a major problem. And there's a lot of things that we need to Understand about the pest we're battling uh, and its life cycle. We'll talk about uh, the importance of that a little later today. And also, how how to really control it, to get a handle on it maybe early. Now, I'll say I'm probably not too timely on this because some of the things I'm going to tell you we could have done several weeks ago. Um, but if you're taking notes you can write down on your garden calendar certain times of the year uh, when I bring up a certain you know late winter or maybe fall and make a note of that so when we do get to that season you might remind yourself that you could try some of these things put them into practice in your landscape and in your vegetable garden other areas orchards all of these uh, uh, these tips here are going to really relate to every part of your landscape but I think that as we get into summer, the struggle is the pest problem can be so large, can be so demanding that the the weather is not conducive for us to be outside. It's hot, it's dry, and it doesn't feel too good for us. The sun is beating down on us. We're wearing our big wide-brimmed hats to, to even stand out in the middle of the field or wherever you're gardening. And so some of that uh, is the The weather is what prevents us from maybe getting a handle on the pest later in the summer. And then, of course, the pest problem becomes so large and so problematic uh, that they just overtake the area. And so these uh, tips today are really going to be more about getting a control early trying to do things that are definitely going to either nip it in the bud, as Barney Fife would say. We're going to nip these bud bugs, nip these weeds, nip these diseases in the bud before they become a problem. Or we're going to really prevent. We're going to uh, create a situation, do certain practices, do certain things that are going to prevent uh, problems in the landscape uh, for the next season. So again, today is all about choking out the pests early, trying to get a handle on pest prevention. Now, before I get into the details of preventing these pests, I do, I should have started off today's program by saying happy belated Earth Day. Of course, yesterday was Earth Day, and as a matter of fact, uh, the first Earth Day was celebrated in 1970 when a United States Senator from Wisconsin organized a national demonstration to raise awareness about environmental issues. Rallies took place across the country, and by the end of the year, the U.S. government had created the Environmental Protection Agency. Of course, that's the EPA. Now, by 1990, Earth Day was an event celebrated by more than 140 countries around the globe. So there we see the United States of America taking charge on trying to raise these, this awareness about environmental issues. Now there are some things, of course, that, you know, I would say that the the defenders of the environment are definitely uh, farmers and gardeners, uh, folks like us who are cultivating the soil, making sure we have healthy places for environment to grow. And there are some things we can do. There are some things that you can do. You know, you could do these on Earth Day. If you didn't, well, you're just a day late, but you could still do these every day of the year uh, to make sure that we're sort of playing our part in creating a healthy ecosystem. Things like like becoming a waste warrior, making sure that the garbage is going away, but also recycling. Recycling the things or reusing, repurposing things in the garden, in the landscape. Uh, you know those plastic containers that you get at the nursery? Don't just throw them in a, in a paper sack. I mean, not a paper sack, a trash bag. Don't just throw them in a trash bag. You can take them back to your nursery if you don't have a use for them because those little plastic containers... Usually they're some ugly black container that's really not uh, uh, pretty on the front porch. If you have no use for them, your local nursery can definitely recycle and reuse. And that is something we do, of course, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens. We love to use those black plastic pots as long as they will last for many years. As a matter of fact, we have some black plastic pots in production with plants growing in them that were dated at least as early as 2001. We're pushing on 20 years, and that plastic pot is still being used and recycled. Planting a tree. You and I don't have to ask ourselves that question. We are going to plant trees. We're going to plant shrubs, going to plant flowers. And so, of course, the more we can plant, the more green that we can put back into the earth the better off we are. How about saving power by turning off the lights? You know, when you walk from one room to the other. I'll say I never really understood this importance, but when I was a kid, that's when I really didn't understand it, I should say, because as a kid, my dad would just chew us out, me and my sister, if we had every light in the house on, but we're back in our bedroom. Why is the kitchen light on, he would say. You're wasting all of this money. Of course, to him, that's what it was about. But saving the energy uh, from room to room is definitely a vital thing. Now, how about that other resource that you and I love so much in our landscape? We need it because the plants demand it. Of course, that is water. We can limit our water usage. What is one of the best ways that we can limit our water usage inside the house? turning off the faucet while we're brushing our teeth. We may brush our teeth for a minute to two minutes, and if that water is running, that's just water down the drain going back into the sewer system. And of course, if you're on a well, you may want to make sure you're not limiting yourself because the groundwater is going to be very important for those who are on a well like we are at my place. And of course, in the landscape. We've already talked several times in the past and fairly recently that saving water, putting that water into barrels, catching it off of sheds, catching it off the roof of your house is a great way to repurpose water, to use the rainwater, put it in a cistern or some kind of barrel and get it back into the landscape. And don't forget to offer your time. There are plenty of community outreach programs, uh, several environmental groups here in our area. I will mention the Redbud Project, which is based out of Gainesville uh, just a little south of here but they do all kinds of projects even as far north uh, as Cleveland and so there are plenty of opportunities to get involved offer your time to help protect our environment and save uh, what little bit of maybe forest we have left due to uh, construction and those kinds of things and then of course we can spread the message for those of you who have friends who may not be environmentally inclined be sure to let them know of the things they can do. Maybe help them plant a tree, and they will see how much fun it is to grow a garden and build a green space. So, happy belated Earth Day, and I hope that uh, you don't just think of of working with the Earth one time out of 365 days, but maybe we can think about it um, every day, just like you and I do in our gardens. When we get back, scouting and uh, preventing pests. So, hang on tight. Looks the same. The Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the New Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our contact us page. It's never fun gardening alone. So get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. So, gang, if you are like me, when you are out in the landscape and out in the garden, you really don't have time to deal with pests. You don't want to have to deal with insects. You don't have time to deal with disease problems and spots. You don't have time to deal with with weeds, which can be a major pest problem. And so today, we are talking about choking out the pests early, making sure that we get rid of these pests before they really even become a problem. Or creating a situation where they don't become a problem that we have to really consider. And there are several different things. Now, we're, you know, all of the pests, of course, that includes weeds, that includes insects, and then that includes disease. And so those three things are quite broad in spectrum, and the way we control them specifically can come down to the specific variety, or I should say, the specific species of whatever problem it is. Because All of the pest problems we have in the landscape, they are going to be some form of life, some organism, whether it's a plant, an insect, a disease, maybe even deer, mammals, you know, they can be a problem, big time pest problem. And so the main thing we're doing today is talking generally about things we can do to help prevent uh, most of these, these issues. So To get more specific, you may want to send us some questions. If you know of a pest problem you've had in the past couple of years and you want to figure out what it is or how to control it or maybe both, then feel free to check us out online at NewSouthernGarden.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can send us pictures and videos of your problem there. The very first thing we want to do when we're talking about preventing pests is to scout. When I was a kid, I was a Boy Scout just for a year but I went like five years as a Cub Scout and you know scouts I guess the idea is that they're always searching always looking venturing into the wilderness doing new things trying this trying that and so scouting in your landscape is a lot like what the Boy Scouts do going to look so the very first thing you should always be doing in order to help prevent and alleviate pest problems before they become a real problem is scouting, looking for problems. So whether you are in the vegetable garden or uh, working uh, in the uh, ornamental beds, if you're out there working, you should always be looking for pest problems. And also, if you're just strolling through, enjoying the afternoon of a summer day, You should be looking to. So whether you're working or whether you are leisuring about in your landscape, be sure that you are scouting for potential problems. Now, scouting means use your eyes for sure. Look, use your eyes and look at the plant. But it also means using your hands, too. You want to make sure you're not just looking at the tops of leaves or at the uh, side of a stem. You want to be lifting leaves and looking underneath. You may even be sort of digging around the mulch, digging around the root system a little bit, not to damage the plant, of course, but to see if there are issues down below. Because certain insects are going to hide under leaves. Things like aphids will generally congregate around a stem, uh, but many times they'll be Underneath the plant. Same with like white flies. They pretty much hide themselves. And you may not know. There's a white fly problem. Until you rub up against a bush. And this puff of white little creatures. Starts flying around. So being sure you get a very comprehensive look, a scouting, that's what you are. You're going to be a scout in your landscape looking for problems. Uh, how about slugs? Slugs can be a major problem, but we may never see them because most of the time slugs are hiding during the heat of the day and coming out to do their business at night. So it's not a bad idea if you're on, you just can't sleep one night and you, you see that that clock is ticking. Maybe put on your boots, go out with a flashlight, and look for insects and other pests that may come out uh, in the middle of the night. But in the case with slugs, uh, they usually leave a trail. You can see a kind of shiny, iridescent trail that sort of uh, shimmers in sunlight. So if you see these trails on your leaves, something that looks sticky but dried, uh, be sure to be on the lookout for slugs and things like that. So the very first, the very first thing we need to be doing in the landscape is looking, scouting for problems, making sure we get a good thorough investigation of our plants from time to time. Now you may schedule this throughout the week, you may put it on the calendar, you may set an alarm for it on your smartphone or smart device to remind you to go do that. But if you're out working in your landscape pretty frequently, it's something that we're always constantly doing. We do it at near nursery and gardens of course in the greenhouses and outside of the greenhouses when we're watering when we're fertilizing when we're trimming things when we're doing our work we're looking for pest problems and several times a week we make a point to go out and see what's going on see what's going on and that's what that's where true pest prevention begins is with scouting looking for potential issues now the next thing is once you do see there is an issue the very next thing we need to do is to identify the problem. We need to know what we're dealing with. Is the problem a weed? And if it's a weed, what kind of weed is it? It's always a good idea to know before we just start spraying a nuclear war zone <laughs> with a weed killer or insecticide to make sure we know what the problem is. If the problem is a pest, like, sorry, these are all pests. If the problem is an insect. The problem is an insect, some kind of bug, a creepy crawly guy. We need to see what kind of creepy crawly it is. Is it in the beetle family? Is it in the fly family? Is it it a caterpillar of some kind, some kind of worm? Because knowing what kind of insect it is is going to help you do one of two things. First of all, knowing what the problem is is going to help you figure out the best method to treat for the problem. And second of all, it will also, knowing and identifying what issue you think you have, will help you to prevent from maybe uh, destroying pollinators. Because when we see butterflies, we think, oh, that's a pollinator. We're not, we don't want to kill the butterflies. But what about the first life cycle that early stage of a butterfly it's a worm it's a caterpillar and those creatures do need to go and chew on this and eat on that in order to turn into a chrysalis or a pupa if it's another kind of insect and then of course emerge as a butterfly so destroying larvae at random or at will can reduce the number of pollinators in your landscape And just because you see an insect on your plant doesn't mean that it's doing a problem, it's creating a problem for you. Some insects may come through, chew a little bit of the leaf for some sustenance, and then they may go on to something else. And so identifying what the issue is is going to really help control um, eliminating good insects like pollinators and making sure we control the bad insects and then of course with diseases uh, the important thing there is to know if you're dealing with a bacteria knowing if you're dealing with a, a, a fungus because those are going to have two different kinds of treatments and maybe two different kinds of um, of control methods now the second thing about important thing about to identifying the problem is that life cycle knowing the kind of pest you have, and I want to reiterate this, I sort of mentioned it just a minute ago, but knowing the kind of pest you have will tell you what its life cycle is. And it doesn't matter if it's a, if it's a, a, a weed, a plant, it, if it's an insect, if it's a disease, all these, in, uh, all these organisms, they have a certain kind of life cycle. So, like I already alluded to, you know, the pollinators, the butterflies, their life cycle is they're they're an egg that turns to a larvae, a worm. Then that larvae worm turns into a chrysalis, and the chrysalis uh, turns into the adult butterfly. And then the adult butterflies lay the egg, and there's a life cycle rolling over again. Weeds. Weeds, they do have life cycles, too. Some weeds are annual weeds, which means they throw out a seed at the beginning of their season, And then they grow, they germinate, they turn into an adult plant, if you will. And that adult plant throws out more seeds, but the mother plant dies when the off-season arrives. And then those seeds that the mother plant threw out become next year's problem. You see, that's the life cycle of, of annual weeds. And then, of course, diseases. They have very complex life cycles. As a matter of fact, some diseases will go back and forth between two different trees or shrubs and one life cycle one stage of the life cycle is completed in one plant and then it's thrown into another completely different plant and that plant finishes the life cycle to start all over again so when we get back we're going to continue talking about preventing and choking out pests before they become a major problem
0: it's come to life and look
1: Well, gang, you know, one of my favorite topics when it comes to pests and controlling pests is preventing them because there are some things that we can do in the landscape or in the vegetable garden or fruit orchard or wherever we're growing. There are some things that we can do and some simple practices that we can implement that are going to help you prevent problems. I think what is that? See, it was Benjamin Franklin, right? An ounce of prevention is worth more than a pound of cure. Trying to cure something takes a lot, but preventing just a touch of prevention is going to help us uh, more so than trying to throw on the cure. And so today we are talking about choking out pests early, getting them out of the landscape before they're a problem, or maybe not even allowing them to exist in our gardens now that first step we took is scouting remember scouting means to look to go forth and use your eyes use your hands lift limbs turn over leaves and see if there are problems dig around in the soil dig around in the mulch see if you see things that can be might be considered problematic then the second step is to identify the problem make sure that if you find something of concern while you're scouting that you put a name on it give it a label give it a name badge you know you walk into a party with a with a little (laughs) you walk into these parties or these corporate events right and at the table they've got those name badges hello my name is well be sure to put a hello my name is badge on these problems because some of these air quote, problems may not actually be problematic. As a matter of fact, let me give you an example of misidentification. There was a lady who came in and practically in tears. She came into the nursery at Lanier Nursery and Gardens where you can find me throughout the week in Flowery Branch. And she was practically in tears. And I said, oh Lord, it looks like your dog just died. What is going on? And she said, you won't believe what I did. And I said, you're wrong. I probably will believe it. Tell me what you did. <laughs> and she said, well, I had this plant that I bought, and it was pretty when I saw it, it was blooming when I, when I got it. And then the next year, I noticed there were all these worms on it. They were eating, just consuming, consuming and eating. And I said, what kind of plant was it? She said, it was milkweed. And I knew right then what she had done. Because the milkweed plant, and we've talked about it on this program in the past, the milkweed plant is is the one group of plants, the milkweeds, that monarch butterflies lay their eggs on, the eggs hatch, and the monarch larvae, the caterpillars, consume the leaves, maybe portions of the stem, in order to live. And listen, folks, it is the only group of plants, the milkweeds, that monarchs can eat off of. It's a true host plant, we call it. It's a plant that uh, makes sure it's sort of this symbiotic relationship in a way. Uh, These creatures were designed, evolved, whichever train of thought you're in, to consume this particular plant. And I knew when she said milkweed that she had killed the young infants, infanticide of monarch butterflies. That's why she was crying. Because she went to an extreme before she identified the problem. It was not really a problem to begin with. The milkweed plant will be okay because it's evolved, been designed to handle the pressure of monarch butterflies. And the butterflies, or rather the uh, the larvae, are going to use that plant to grow and become adults, to make more monarch butterflies. And so, bless her heart, she was in tears. I gave her a tissue, and she went out crying, and I said on the way out, can I sell you one more milkweed plant? (laughs) So anyhow, I think that her problem was resolved as long as she puts that insecticide away before you identify the problem. If she had identified the problem earlier, all those young monarch children would still be alive today. But anyhow, that's identifying the problem, making sure that you're not killing the good guys And that you're not doing too much for a problem that may not even be a big deal. Now, the next thing, once you've identified your problem and you know what you're dealing with, you can start to take preventative measures to do so, to keep those things in check. Let's talk about weeds. Once you've identified that you have a weed problem and you know what your weeds are and you know how they act, Uh, Before the break, I was talking about the the annual weeds, the weeds that uh, grow from seed and produce seed in one season, and then that plant dies. Those kinds of weeds are easy to help control because they don't um, maintain a root system under the ground. The entire plant dies back. But again, they've left a lot of children seeds behind. And we can use certain pre-emergence To prevent those seeds from becoming adult weeds that can reseed. It's almost a poem. I'm quite, I guess I'm a little poetic today. But regardless, the point is you can use pre emergence, whether it is an organic, like uh, corn gluten. Corn gluten is one of the uh, best organic weed preventers, but another great organic weed preventer is going to be mulch just mulching regularly suppressing light from getting to the soil Uh, reducing the weed seed that's in the soil from access to light is going to prevent them from germinating and becoming major problems then of course there's chemicals right there are some chemistries you can apply that the USDA has approved for use in our lawns gardens uh, ornamental beds um, farms fields wherever But preventing the weeds with pre-emergent is a good way to battle major weed infestations. Now, when we talk about diseases, there are some preventative measures that you can take. For instance, if you are dealing with, eh, say, an orchard, a fruit tree, if you've got one, two, or a hundred fruit trees... One of the best things we can do to prevent disease, because in the South, folks, remember, our fruit trees, the peaches, the apples, the pears, nectarines, pretty much any fruit tree that is not native here is going to suffer some kind of disease at some point during the season. It's almost guaranteed. Our humidity is high, our heat is high, and most diseases love humid, hot days. So using a dormant oil in late winter is one of the first things that we would do for fruit trees and maybe other plants that have suffered with diseases from the past. So what this dormant oil does is it puts a slick, oily barrier around the stem, around the bud, because we're doing this in late winter, so that means the leaves on the tree are still held tightly in buds. We're doing this even before the the plant flowers. You know, pears and apples, they bloom really early. And so we're putting this oil on a tightly closed bud before the bud even opens, all right? That's how late in the winter we're talking. Now, those dormant oils will put that slimy, oily film around every part that you can touch. And if a fungus happens to uh, touch down on that plant then it gets trapped in that oil and it's not allowed to penetrate inside of the bud or inside the stem or on a leaf. Now, the dormant oils work for so long. We can maybe use them in the uh, late, late, early, sorry, late, late winter, early, early spring, you know, into March or so. But they only work for so long because dormant oil at high temperatures, like the middle of summer, Is going to do more harm to the plant than good. It's sort of like rubbing yourself down with Crisco and taking a sun bath. You're gonna come out a little crispy, and so will your plants if you use oils at the wrong time of year. So we can use dormant oils through winter and in fall, and of course into late winter and early part of spring as a preventative measure against diseases. There's a few ways that disease gets to a plant disease can be airborne uh, with spores so if you have a plant nearby that has a disease and this particular disease sends spores in the air well those can very easily on a wet day maybe fall onto leaf or dewy weather you know like uh, early morning these uh, spores can fall on the leaf or on a stem and start activating in a little bit of moisture and penetrating into your plant's cellular tissues Another way that plants, and probably more common way that disease moves from plant to plant, is by a vector. Now, a vector is something that moves the disease from one plant to another, particularly insects. Insects um, are sometimes the problem, but some insects that don't necessarily cause, you know, chewing or removal of leaf material, eating the leaves and the foliage, Some other insects can bring disease straight to the plant. If they get their little feet, their little hairs all over a disease, they're picking up particles of disease that then when they fly to another plant, they touch down and they can uh, infect a healthy plant. And so when you're controlling disease or preventing disease, usually we want to, to some degree, also prevent insects since they are the vector, they are the bus, right? They are the airplane that goes from one infected plant over to a non-infected plant and then, of course, giving that plant that disease. So with that in mind, the dormant oils can also help control pests to some degree. Uh, Soft-bodied insects can be sprayed with this dormant oil completely and suffocate them. Uh, more hard-bodied insects may be bringing that disease to the plant, not be affected themselves by the dormant oil, but the disease that they drop gets trapped in that oily goo that's surrounding and protecting the bud, and then you have a less likelihood of that disease taking root, if you will, or germinating into the plant. So dormant oils are very helpful. But if you know you have had disease in the past, If last year some of your fruit trees or maybe your roses had spots, speckles, splotches, whatever. If you know that you've had a disease in the past, it's a good idea, too, to maybe preventatively treat your plant with natural fungicides first. Organic fungicides. And those might include things like copper and sulfur. You see, copper and sulfur are two uh, elements on the periodic table, right? I mean, We have copper pipes in our houses, or some people do. I hope we don't use much of that anymore. I don't know, gas pipes are sometimes copper. Uh, sulfur, of course, is something that we used to have a lot of in the atmosphere. And since pollution has been cleaned up since the 1970s, there's not a lot of sulfur in the atmosphere anymore. But uh, these things are naturally occurring elements, and so with that in mind, they can be applied with an extreme amount of safety. They can be applied to a plant. As a matter of fact, plants use a little bit of copper and a little bit of sulfur in order to grow. But the copper and sulfur, just like the oil, makes this uh, barrier around the buds, around the leaf. You can use copper and sulfur even after the humidity and the heat kicks in. It's not going to damage the plant like oils will. But the copper and the sulfur create... a uh, a habitat, if you will, around the leaf that the insects, not insects, the diseases, really don't care for. It's very difficult for them to grow in a high copper or high sulfur environment. Now, the this was discovered several hundred years, several hundreds of years ago, that bacteria and fungus and things they don't like to grow. In copper and sulfur situations, they used to call it the Bordeaux mixture because the gentleman who figured this all out and was using it, uh, copper and sulfur, his name was Bordeaux. And so they began to use this as a preventative spray. It doesn't really work too well once the disease is already in the plant. Okay. But if you get it early, that's why if you know you had it last year, go ahead and start preventatively using copper and sulfur around your stems and your leaves. And hopefully that will eliminate disease problems problems for the coming season well gang we've still got a bit to talk about when it comes to choking out pests getting them early so hang on tight and we'll give you some ideas on how to get rid of those pesky pests
0: all the way now
1: So, gang, uh, during the break, I was thinking, I was reminded in my head, talking about pests today, that we we had a pest problem at my house growing up as a kid. It wasn't really a pest problem in the garden or the landscape, but it did have to do with wilderness and wildlife. So, when I was maybe, I don't know, 10 or 11 or so, uh, we were my parents and some other adults in the church were having a meeting at the church and they had hired this really sweet sort of babysitter to watch the kids of the parents uh, who were in the meeting. And she was a very nice lady. I don't even remember her name, but she took us out into the woods, and we had a a great little nature hike, which is wonderful for kids to have, especially nowadays, where technology just consumes them. But regardless, we were walking through the woods, and along the way, along the path there, there was this, this stem, just a some wild weed, it was just a dry stem, and it had what appeared to be a cocoon on it, okay? It had a, appeared to have a cocoon, It was this, but, but it was a strange-looking cocoon because it was, looked sort of like brown styrofoam, if that's the best description. Uh, it was very foamy-looking, but it was hardened, and so the lady was like, oh, go ahead and, and clip it and take it home, and, and, you know, butterfly might hatch out of it. Well, I woke up one Saturday, maybe a week later, and my dad was screaming, and I walked into the uh, <laughs> into the sunroom where that branch was waiting to crack open with a beautiful butterfly, and he had just gotten a can of Raid and sprayed a swarm, a swarm of baby-praying mantis. Of course, had that branch been left outside the Praying mantis would have been fine. They're not a major problem for pests. They actually consume pests. But having, uh, it was hundreds of baby praying mantis crawling around your house, I think every dad would have a right to be angry about that. So, uh, talking about misidentification, I definitely, me and the babysitter, we both misidentified that cocoon as butterfly when it indeed was praying mantis There's a bunch of praying mantis children. So be sure you're properly identifying things. Now, before the break, we were talking about using preventative measures and uh, tools, maybe, uh, solutions, if you will. Uh, Weeds, of course, you can use pre-emergence to prevent them in your landscape. Diseases, we talked about using dormant oils and uh, natural fungicides to start, copper and sulfur. If you've got a problem that natural organics may not be strong enough for, of course, there are always chemical, vari- chemical varieties of, of, of preventative measures, fungicides. But I leave that up to you. Whether you want to introduce chemicals or not, as long as you use them appropriately, as the USDA and even FDA in some cases have approved, then they say it's safe. So it's your government telling you what is safe and what's not safe, right? Okay, we won't get into politics. But the last little step that I want to talk about is going to be sanitize and sterilize. These are two preventative measures that you don't have to buy anything for. Well, sort of, maybe not. Stuff you probably already have in your kitchen uh, or in your tool shed or garage. Sanitizing and sterilizing are two things. I'm going to explain the difference between the two. First of all, sanitize, just like it sounds, is where we clean up any debris or litter That is infected with disease or in the case of weeds, any kind of mulch or compost, you know, grass trimmings. If you're trimming your lawn and you're bagging those trimmings and it's full of weed seed, you don't necessarily want to throw that back into your compost because you may be spreading weed seed out into your other garden areas. So sanitizing means to remove diseased or pest-ridden materials, all right? You can do that in a number of ways. You can trim and remove branches that are diseased, right? You can also trim and remove portions of plants that may be highly infested with things like mealybug or scale. These insects are hard to control, chemically Um, if you get something very potent it won't really be a problem but regardless you can and and these particular insects tend to group together around stems and leaves and so removing a portion of the plant may remove most of the problem what you can do with these uh, diseased or infested materials is burn them you can burn them you don't want to necessarily compost them right away Uh, you can remove them from your property put them in a plastic bag uh, trash bag and throw them dispose of them at the landfill but of course burning is going to eliminate disease and also uh, insect problems now the last word sterilize the last step sterilize is different than sanitizing so sanitizing is cleaning up You know, scraping leaves that were diseased, putting them in a trash bag, put them in a burn barrel, not allowing them to overwinter because those diseased portions of the plant may very well splash back up onto the uh, plant next year. But sterilizing is not necessarily, it's a kind of cleaning, but it's different than sanitizing. Sterilizing is where we take our equipment, we take our tools, and we make sure that they are very clean. Now, let me give you an example in the human world. There is, hopefully, hopefully, there is no hospital on earth that is using or reusing, say, needles or scalpels without cleaning them. As a matter of fact, you walk into a hospital in a bedroom um, or in, into a uh, hospital room, and you'll see on the wall there is that biohazard box that is full of used needles. Because using the same needle on multiple people is not a good idea. It's a great way to pass disease. It's a terrible thing to do. And so in the plant world, it's sort of the same thing. We want to make sure that when we make a cut on a diseased plant, that we don't use that dirty shear to cut a non-diseased plant because there's a very good chance that those pruners still have fragments and bits and pieces of disease that then can be relocated to an otherwise healthy plant. So be sure you are sterilizing. But how do you do that? It's quite easy and simple. In order to sterilize something, you can use rubbing alcohol. And so when I'm out pruning, and if particularly I know I'm pruning fruit trees or things that are susceptible to disease or may have had disease, I will uh, pour the alcohol into a spray bottle, And keep that on my fanny pack, right? Keep that on your garden apron or belt or wherever. Keep that in your hand and spritz. Just spritz your pruning shear or whatever tool you're working with with the alcohol before you make another cut so be sure you're spritzing sterilizing with the alcohol or you can use a bleach water solution that can be just as effective but sterilizing your tools and your equipment another way to make sure you're not promoting disease is if your landscaper is coming from someone else's house has just mowed their lawn which may be chock-full of disease, and they bring their lawnmower straight to your house, they turn it on, and then guess what's in the undercarriage or underneath the deck of that mower? Weed seed. And now they have spread weed seed from somebody else's lawn to your lawn. So sterilizing equipment like that, making sure that there are no propagules or disease potential on your pruning shears, your lawnmower equipment, your whatever equipment you're using, making sure we keep things clean. So keep things clean in the garden by removing disease materials or infested materials, and also be sure to keep your pruning tools, your garden tools of any kind, sterilized so that they, too, don't help promote disease from one plant to another. Well, gang, today has been all about choking out pests early, making sure we're scouting, identifying our problems, using preventative measures, sanitizing, and sterilizing. Now, for New Southern Garden and WRWH, this is Nathan Wilson, hoping that you stay well and grow well. We'll see you next week.
0: Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at laniernurserygardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.